It's time now for the complete story, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here's the BRN father and son team, Dick and Rich Bot, with today's complete story. Well, to tell you what, Rich, I think today's complete story, once again, is going to be a little different, uh, but much the same, because it's for the Lord's people about what is right versus what is wrong. What say you, sir? Well, you know, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus, because people will fail you, but Jesus never fails. You know, at my age, (laughs) I mentioned this quite a bit, Doris Akers, one of my favorites, as our audience knows, but she recorded a song that I just love because it's so true. It is absolutely so true, regardless of what your age is. This is the facts of life. Uh, let's hear her sing it now. My dear brother, faint and feeble. My dear sister, weak and worn. We're going to wind up in the boneyard. Just as sure as we were born These old bodies beat and broken These old bodies tired and torn Are gonna be a new creation Comes that Son of a may turn to ashes and all fury may unfold. Every star may fall from heaven and the moon may take a stroll. But the Lord will never leave me. He's the lover of my soul. Oh, you know what? That almost makes me want to get up out of my chair here and, uh, you know, I mean, just get myself loosened up a little bit. (laughs) Kind of celebrating. Well, kind of celebrating. You know, that's the promise that we have, and that's what keeps us going. But now let's go to what the program is about today, the little ones. Folks, the children are the future. How are we treating them? What are we subjecting them to with taxpayer money? And what is happening in our school systems in America today? Now, the media is not talking about this very much. Uh, You know where they are on these issues. But here is a young school teacher who started out wanting to teach children what is right versus what is wrong and give them an education so they would be able to soar in their life and have a dream and everything. But it didn't work out well. 
Now you listen, and I'll tell you folks, in every city, in every state, uh, in America right now, we are um, absolutely covered up with this sort of indoctrination of whose children? Our children. Whose children? Your children. Your little sons and daughters. Listen to what this young school teacher from Leesburg, Virginia, said at the open board meeting, school board meeting. Uh, here it is. My name is Laura Morris. I have been a teacher in Loudoun County Public Schools for five years and a teacher for 10. In that time, I have learned so much, being on the cutting edge of educational technology and working with a diverse population of students that I have loved. This year, I have the privilege to follow my amazing fourth graders up to fifth, and I have been excited about this all summer. On the other hand, this summer I have struggled with the idea of returning to school, knowing that I'll be working yet again with a school division that despite its shiny tech and flashy salary, promotes political ideologies that do not square with who I am as a believer in Christ. After reading about your lack of consideration for the growing population of concerned citizens in this division, clearly evidenced by this empty room tonight where you shut the doors to the public as well as the emails sent by the superintendent last year reminding me that a dissenting opinion is not allowed even to be spoken in my personal life going so far as to send a form to my colleagues and i encouraging us to fill it out if we hear one another speaking against the controversial policies being promoted by this school board and adopted in this county not only that but within the last year i was told in one of my so-called equity trainings that white christian able-bodied females currently have the power in our schools and that quote this has to change. Clearly, you've made your point. You no longer value me or many other teachers you've employed in this county. So since my contract outlines the power that you have over my employment in Loudoun County Public Schools, I thought it necessary to resign in front of you. School board, I quit. I quit your policies, I quit your trainings, and I quit being a cog in a machine that tells me to push highly politicized agendas on our most vulnerable constituents, the children. I will find employment elsewhere. I encourage all parents and staff in this county to flood the private schools. Rich, you know, uh, school choice that was so politicized uh, by Betsy DeVos when she was Secretary of Education and when Donald Trump was president, School choice gives the choice to the parents, to the mothers, the fathers, the grandparents, whoever's raising the children and loves the most. That's what it's all about, folks. Why on earth would you leave your little boys and girls in a situation half the time you don't even know what's going on there? So anyway, I don't want to get on my high horse too high, high on this, but these little children are the future. And when they are indoctrinated or when they're confused about even whether they're a boy or a girl, for goodness sake, uh, where does that leave the future of America and the future of your family and the future of those little, those little lives? What say you, sir? Well, I think parents are waking up all across the country as to what's happening and, and awakening to their responsibility before God for the education of their children. Yeah. Line upon line, precept upon precept. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then, of course, teach them that one plus one is two, <laughs> and the rain falls and the sun shines and things that are so obvious. Uh, now... Uh, the sermon that I think 
we've used on the complete story that the people really comment on when they call a listener comment line is the message by Reverend Lawrence White of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Houston, Texas. It's called, folks, it's called The Sin of Silence. The Sin of Silence. Just think about that. Silence can be a sin, you know. And that's what Lawrence White was talking about. I want to tell our listeners for the first time, really, how we happen to have this. I heard him bring this message at a conference many, many years ago, and I was so taken by it. I wanted our listening audience to be able to hear it. And so I asked him to come to Kansas City, where our headquarters is, and preach that message. And we arranged then for Midwestern Baptist Seminary to have a chapel service midweek where Dr. Lawrence White could preach this message. And then we had our engineers there so we would be able to capture. And of course, the whole student body was there in attendance. And that's how that happened. And I want our listeners to listen again because we've had the science. You know, the science is not even in question. Who was it who said, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. So the science is there on on what an unborn child is when that human being starts living. Uh, But it's for the Lord's people, and it's for those who feel it in their heart. That's where you live, folks, in your heart. The science is there to give it to you in your head, but if you don't care, it just drifts past and becomes part of the culture. Well, anyway, here is Dr. Lawrence White once again with his message, The Sin of Silence. Here it is. I've been traveling across the length and breadth of this great land over the last few years, talking primarily to pastors' groups, seeking to awaken and arouse God's spokesmen among us to be what God has called them to be, to preach his word without apology, without hesitation, without reluctance. And so I was very pleased to have the opportunity to take my two sons, Adam, who's 23, and Aaron, who's 20, with me on a trip to Germany. As a Lutheran Christian, that's where my historic and theological roots are, and I wanted the boys to see where they came from and to get some context, I guess you could call it, a setting in which to evaluate and assess what's happening in our country and in their lives. And so we flew out of Houston on Christmas Day. We landed in Berlin. And one afternoon we rented a van and we drove out into the countryside about 35 kilometers or so northeast of Berlin to a little farming community called Oranienberg. Not much there, a couple of taverns, a couple of gas stations, a few houses. That's about it. Nobody would ever have heard of that little town were it not for the fact that Heinrich Himmler chose Oranienberg as the site of one of his prototype concentration camps. A horrible place called Sachsenhausen. That means the home of the Saxons. I took the boys there that day because I wanted them to see what had happened to this great Christian nation, this homeland of the Reformation, almost overnight. And the boys grew quiet as we walked across the vast expanse where the barracks once stood that held hundreds of thousands of prisoners. During the 12 years of the Hitler Reich, 
We saw the bales of human hair and the piles of children's shoes. We went to the medical laboratories where gruesome experiments were conducted on living human beings without anesthetic because they were not viewed as human because of their race or their language. And finally we walked to the back where far in the corner the crematorium once stood. The oven where they burned the bodies of the dead. And out in front of it was a grotesque wrought iron statue of two emaciated inmates hauling the dead body of one of their cohorts toward the gaping doors of the oven. The building itself had actually collapsed. They'd buried so many people underneath it that the foundations had been undermined. But the metal supports that once held those ovens were still there. And as we came up there three days after Christmas, in front of the doorway to that crematorium, there was a withered Christmas wreath with a white ribbon on it. And the slogan on that ribbon said, from the Christians of Germany, we kneel before God in bitter regret and humble repentance, and we ask his forgiveness for the Jews and all the others who died in this place. And as we turned to walk away, out across the compound once again, my 20-year-old Aaron put his arm around me in the condescending way that sons have with their fathers. And he looked at me and he said, Dad, you need to keep giving those speeches that you've been giving. And I felt good. Because for the first time, my boys understood within the depths of their hearts what's happening in America today. But there in Sachsenhausen, for the very first time, they saw for themselves how much is at stake in our America and how desperately important these issues are and how much we stand to lose if we do not awaken and rouse ourselves quickly. That the people of God in Christ cannot disengage from the culture in which they live. We cannot withdraw to the comfortable security of our beautiful sanctuaries and sit in our padded pews while the world all around us goes to hell. For to do so is a betrayal of the Lord whose name we bear. And it is a denial of the power and the efficacy of his word, the word that he has given us to proclaim. In Germany, as here in the United States, one of the most clever tools in the enemy's arsenal used to silence and intimidate Christians, to drive them out of the public square, was the lie of the separation of church and state. There was a meeting held in the German capital city of Berlin in 1934. Hitler had been chancellor for just over a year at that point. He was taking the nation through a process which in German was called Gleichschaltung. That means coordination. Everything was being realigned in terms of national socialist philosophy, and that included the churches. And protests had begun to rise from the people of God about this interference in the church and its life. And so Hitler called together the most important preachers in the land, and he gathered them there at the Reich's Chancellery to reassure them and to intimidate them, if he could, to silence their criticism so that he could go on with his plans for the country. And Hitler moved through the crowd that day, patting the preachers on the back, making them feel important, smiling and reassuring. He told them their state subsidies would continue, their tax exemptions were secure, that the church had nothing to fear from a Nazi government. 
And finally, one brash young preacher who was there, Martin Niemöller was his name, had had enough. Today, we'd call him politically incorrect. He was going to tell the truth, even if that truth was not popular. And he pushed his way to the front of the room until he stood eye to eye with the German dictator. And he said, Herr Hitler, our concern is not for the church. Jesus Christ will take care of his church. Our concern is for the soul of our nation. It was immediately evident that the brash young preacher spoke only for himself as a chagrin silence fell over that room and his colleagues hustled him away from the front. Hitler, with a natural politician's instinct, saw that reaction and he understood exactly what it meant and he smiled as he said to himself almost reflectively, the soul of Germany, you can leave that to me. And they did. They kept their religion and their politics strictly separate from one another. And as the innocent were slaughtered and the nation was led down the path to destruction, they looked the other way and they minded their own business and their country was destroyed. I would submit to you today that we in America find ourselves in a frighteningly similar predicament. Once again, the innocent are being slaughtered in a 26-year holocaust that makes Hitler look like a humanitarian by comparison. Once again, the nation is being led down the path to destruction. And once again, by and large, God's people are looking the other way. I don't have to tell anyone in this room tonight how far down that path to destruction we've already traveled. You see the evidence in families that are fractured and marriages that are broken in young people that lose their way and often their lives in a maze of alcohol and drugs. In a culture that can no longer distinguish between lust and love, that is willing to tolerate the vilest perversion as alternate acceptable lifestyle while pestilence stalks the land. In public schools that have become facilitators for fornication and procurers for the abortionist knife in a nation that has lost the moral will to distinguish between that which is right and that which is wrong, we know all too well how far down that road to destruction we have already gone. And that's because in large part, every time a Christian, particularly a Christian pastor, raises his voice on a matter of public policy, the immediate hue and cry from the media, from the political and educational elite and establishment is, wait a minute, we have the separation of church and state in this country. You Christians, you keep your morality to yourselves. As history repeats itself, they smile reassuringly as they tell us the soul of America. You can leave that to us. And we have. Brothers and sisters, the time has come and is long since past when we stopped listening to and being immobilized by these lies from the father of lies. This is the genius of America. The recognition that a country like ours, a country where the people rule, must be a country where morality prevails. But that's not the kind of country that we have seen developing all around us every day.
That's not the kind of country we read about when we pick up the newspapers every morning. America has forgotten who she is. And if she does not remember soon, it will be too late. In the 1830s, a French nobleman named Alexis de Tocqueville came from Europe to this new land to see what it was that gave America its vitality and its strength. And he toured across this country. He saw all that there was to see. And when it was done, he summed it up in these impassioned words. He said, I sought the key to the greatness and the genius of America in her harbors, in her fertile fields, in her boundless forests, in her rich mines, in her vast world commerce, in her public school system and institutions of learning. I sought for it in her democratic Congress and in her matchless constitution, but it was not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness that I understood the secret of her genius and her power. America is great, de Tocqueville said, because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, then she will also cease to be great. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is an offense to any people. There is that indissoluble connection between greatness and goodness upon which this country was built. We have severed that connection over the last few decades. We have sown the wind of immorality and we are reaping the whirlwind of destruction and death. And we, God's people in Christ, have been placed here by the Lord for such a time as this. America will not turn from the path of destruction until the Christians of this land stop blending in and going along. We have become a chameleon church. We can blend in anywhere. We can go along with anything, no matter how perverse it may be. Just so long as no one figures out that we are sons and daughters of the Lord Jesus Christ. For then we might have to endure the scorn and the ridicule of the world. We must stop compromising and yielding. We must be sure that it is the Lord Jesus for whom we stand. But of this one thing, we can be absolutely certain. The Lord God Almighty hates the murder of innocent unborn children. We can win the next election or the next 10 elections. We can balance the budget, we can reduce the deficit, we can bring down taxes and build the mightiest military machine on the face of the earth. But if we do not stop abortion, then God will destroy and God should destroy America. Abortion is an unholy altar that we have raised up to pagan gods of our own lust and greed and the blood of more than... 35 million innocent unborn children cries out to God for justice from the ground of America. And the day is coming soon when God will heed that cry. And when he does, woe to us. On that great day of reckoning, it will not be enough to say, Lord, we were in church every Sunday. We built great churches in your name. We raised millions of dollars in your name. 
on that great day of reckoning to those who stood silent while the killing went on, the Lord will say, Depart from me, you cursed ones, for I do not know you. But in the amazing grace, the incredible mercy and long-suffering of our wonderful God, that day has not yet come. America may have turned her back on God, but God, for some reason, has not yet turned his back on America. So let us work while it is still day, before the night comes, when no man can work. Let us rouse the Christians of this city and of this land to be what God has called and enabled them to be, the stinging salt that stops the decay of death, the shining light that dispels the darkness of doubt and despair, the gleaming city set high upon a hill, it stands as a beacon light of life and hope to this nation and to every nation. Let us learn from the mistakes of the past. Let us stand upon the word of God. Let us save this country that we claim to love as we become involved in the process in this crucial moment that God has given us. God is placing before us a challenge before it is too late, and I pray that we will find within the depths of our hearts and souls the courage and the faith to rise to that challenge and make the most of that opportunity. It is within our power because God has placed it there. It is within our grasp to change this America before it is too late, to snatch our country back from the brink of destruction. All the signs of the deadly decay all around us are unmistakably clear our nation's leaders wallow in decadence and deceit while the polls tell us that the people don't care and apathy and indifference prevails we must care as the people of God in Christ we must be the salt and the light and the shining city as Christians gathered here today let us resolve not to repeat the mistakes of the past let us resolve not to allow evil men to triumph simply because good men have done nothing. Let us stand together as the people of God, bold in the confidence of the Spirit, and declare before our nation the soul of America. You can leave that to us. Thank you. Rich, you know, we're, we're out of time. Can you give the phone number really quick? For yes, the listener, uh, the listener comment line, we'd love to hear from you. 1-800-345-2621. That's 1-800-345-2621. And God bless you, uh, Bot Radio Network family. If your heart was stirred as mine was, this is Dick Bot with his chapter of The Complete Story with my son, Rich, and we'll see you later. 